This podcast is brought to you by the Hayden Boxing Academy. I'm glad to say they're sponsors of this podcast. And if you haven't checked them out, I'd strongly urge you to check them out on their website, the Hayden Boxing Academy. It is a boxing slash fitness class. It is the only one of its kind in Ireland, okay? You need to check it out. If you want to get fit, if you want to learn how to box, if you want to socialize, if you want to meet new people, it is the class for you. So go check it out. You will not regret it. They take it slow. They are very, very good at what they do. So check it out. You will not regret it. And box someone's face up. Hello and welcome to the review of the decade, um, the round rant version of it. It's going to be a two-part episode, so I will do the first five or six years in this episode and then the last few in the next one. I'll also add in my top 10, like, I don't know, biggest cowboys, best schoolboys games, best films, best TV shows, the best rugby team of the decade and one or two other things like that in the next episode. So. You're going to have to wait for that. But I felt rather than kind of bluff around and give you a story about how dissatisfied I am with Ryanair's general treatment of his customers and other bits and bobs like that, I thought it'd be a good idea just to get right into it. So looking back on the decade, like it's finally put together with relation to three of those years were the tail end of my school time. Then it was the three to four years of hell in college and then the other end of that where you get out of college you wonder do you do a disasters degree or if you get a real job or else just maintain the bluff for as long as you can until eventually someone looks at you i.e your parents and they're like what are you doing with yourself and you're there in your dressing gown at half two on a tuesday afternoon watching home alone four it's um an interesting one. And when I think back to 2010, and this is where we're going to kick it off, everything is just school memories. It's just what we were up to in school. And third year is like a really interesting year because you start kind of developing little kind of characteristics in your general being that will be with you for the rest of your life. So with the school I was in, like everyone got slagged. So every single human being in that school, in that year, got slagged. So it didn't matter who you were. It was a complete leveler. People got people got absolutely teared into. Like when I look back, a few stories that stick out, like third year you've got your JCT campaign, the first big cup campaign. It's a big moment. You've got the junior search, which is a bit like Santa. It's one of the biggest bluffs ever, that once you actually get over it and through it, you kind of look back and you're like, what that that was completely ridiculous that I ever actually cared or worried about it. And then just the several different school stories I have from that third year. But one of the ones that kind of stand out is the lead up to the junior search. So you have a lot of people stressing over it. And I, not through any source of pride or anything else, but I just basically didn't care about the junior search. I got decent results, I think. I got something like four Bs, three Cs, and four Ds. I didn't fail anything, which was the main thing I just was worrying about. I was like, do not fail anything. And I somehow managed to bluff my way to all passes, so to speak. But in Fogra Hain is the story. We were doing our mocks, and it was Irish listening in the classroom. And we had um, our yearhead as our Irish teacher, and he kind of looked like Santa Claus. Well, like he was Santa Claus, essentially. And he kind of talked like this. Just get out of your box, please. So 
he used to kind of meander up to the classroom at a pace you could only compare to, like, who's slow? I'm trying to think. Paul McShane getting skinned by Messi. That kind of pace or lack of. So he rocks up to the classroom. Everyone's anxious. Everyone's like, oh, it's the listening. It's the Irish listening. Oh, I need to do well. I was like, right, I couldn't care less about this. I'm crap at Irish, and this is past Irish, so I don't care. The teacher comes in, realizes he's forgotten one or two leaflets or sheets of paper that were required for the test to go ahead. So he has the retro like boom boxes they used to bring around uh, to classes to play the listening on. So he had the CD, had that, and he goes, oh, I just forgot that. So then he just wanders out of the room and goes, I'll be back in two minutes. So I was like, right, this is my chance to sabotage this whole exam. So half the class were like, get the CD, get the CD. The other half were like, no, 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 I actually want to sit my mocks, you idiot. I grabbed the CD, get my keys out, start scraping the back of the CD as hard as I could. Those actual bits of the CD being peeled off, like they were getting peeled off. And... The look of disgust on half of the class being like, you fat moron, I'm trying to educate myself here and look at this little dwarf sitting in the corner with a big smile on his face with his keys out, scraping bits off the back of the CD, sabotaging everything. So I put it back in the disc uh, holder container. About a minute later, the teacher comes back and he goes, right, everyone, books away, books away. And I'm just sitting there just like Mr. Burns being like, excellent, excellent. Watching as hopefully my plan unfolded to the nature in which I'd hoped for. He puts it in or slips it in. Jamie squeeze lip. The race! Jamie squeeze lip. He squeezes in and he slips in. Jamie, he slip. So anyway, he puts the CD in and lo and behold, it's like, fun and fun and fun and I can't even speak Irish. That's how shit I am at the language. It gets to the stage where the comprehension's about to start and there'd be no hiccups or no no evidence to suggest that my plan was going to be successful in destroying the CD. So then he goes, okay, this is the start of comprehension. So it goes, Fogra Ahane. Fogra Ahane. Fogra Ahane. And at this stage, everyone starts looking at each other going, it's just going to be some robots screaming Fogger Ahane. And I'm kind of like, could this be it? Could this really be it? And then he kind of bangs the, the CD player. And then all I hear is Fogger, Fogger, Fogger Ahane, Fogger, 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 Fogger Ahane, Fogger Ahane, Fogger Ahane. And I just had the biggest smile on my face. And it just kept going, Fogger Ahane, Fogger Ahane, Fogger Ahane, Fogger Ahane, Fogger And he like started banging it. blood Turns out, had to be cancelled. The mock exam had to... It caused complete uproar as well because it was the same comprehension as every other Irish class. So they had to like rejig the whole thing. We had to sit a completely new uh, listening exam. And people were looking at me like, you idiot. Well, the other half was like, yeah, fucking legend, deadly man. Like the joke wasn't really on anyone because we just had to do it the next day. I somehow passed, but like that was very much a moment where I was like, right, I can get back at this system. Not like fully, but just temporarily. And yeah, the junior sort assert itself, I can't really think of much that stands out. Like it, it, I actually can barely remember anything about the junior cert. I just remember some people getting slagged in the middle of the hall, as in if if anyone made an abrupt departure from an exam, they'd just get slagged by people and the supervisor would be like, What is everyone keep it down, keep it down? But with third year, the last thing I want to point out is JCT rugby, which is at the time, you think it is quite literally the most important thing you'll ever do in your life, which once you get four or five years down the road, you realize it's not, but it is a very special time. And I don't want to play, you know, downplay it and say it's not important or anything like that. But at that time, number one, you feel like you're on Sky Sports and you feel like you're a like, professional schools boy player at the age of 14, 15 where you're super setting clean and jerks in the gym with playing ball on Saturday while making sure you get a clean holster t-shirt so on a Friday night you can go and shift some absolute behemoth in Wes on a Friday. Obviously, you wouldn't drink because you'd match the next day. Oi, oi, guilty. So, JCT campaign, what I remember about that whole year was basically, uh, Michaels, we absolutely teared it up pre-season. We had a hiccup against Castlenock. 
the infamous Jack O'Neill Castanock team. And we ended up losing them pre-season. And we'd pretty much been unbeaten for the whole duration of our time as a team. And we ended up going up to Castanock away, lost, I think it was 14-12 or something like It was like two or three points in it. An absolute bloodbath of a game. And after the game, like half of us were crying after the game because it was that much of a shock to us. I remember their coach goes, yes, go on, when the final whistle went, yes, go on, best team in Leicester, come on. And like, we were there like 14, 15-year-olds being like, Jesus Christ, this guy's completely lost his himself. I remember at that moment, like, we were all like so upset that we'd lost a preseason game. But with all that said and done, after the game, I remember Andy Skeen was her coach. And he was like, listen, ignore that guy. Ignore that fucking clown. Because if he thinks he's the best in Leinster, he's not going to be very happy in a few months' time. And lo and behold, we actually drew Castlenock in the quarterfinal. We played Kilkenny in the first round. I essentially played wing for the whole game with Dennis. And, yeah, the Castlenock game was built up as this big thing. Castlenock were favourites for the Cup. And we beat them, I think, 21-7. 21-0. Yeah, that was complete pandemonium. Then the semi was against Black Rock. I think no team had actually beaten Black Rock in a cup before that semi. So we were like, Jesus, this is actually a big game. Not to like downplay anything else, but like it was like, Jesus, if we could actually be the first team to beat Black Rock in a cup, that would be massive. And I think we were losing like 7-3 at halftime and ended up rallying back in the second half. But yeah, we ended up winning that, and that was huge. And then... For anyone who doesn't know, we then played Ternier in the final, and our rivalry with Ternier would be similar of that of one of like West Ham and Millwall. As in, we absolutely hated Ternier and they hated us. It got so bad to the stage where every single Wes, it was like a Martin Scorsese film, gangster film, in which either Ternier lads would be hopping on uh, Michael's lads or vice versa. It was a complete war. And we hated each other. So we were there thinking, right, JCT final against Ternier. Couldn't be better. Like, could not be better. If we'd begged people to have this final, like, we wouldn't have believed it if they said, yeah, when it gets to the final at the end of the season, you'll be playing Ternier. So the fact we ended up playing them was incredible. We went in thinking we were the bee's knees. I think we beat them like something like 28-7 in preseason. And it gets to the final. And I'm like back in that stage, you're like, this is the biggest day of your life. And obviously it's against Terranier, the blood's boiling. Everyone is just so, so, so up for us. And we begin the game really well. I think we went 3-0 up after like two or three minutes. Berno slotted it through the middle of the posts. But what else would you expect? You know, does Dolly Parton sleep on her back as the Pope Catholic, etc., etc.? But then it started going downhill very fast, like very fast. I think Gary Clark and scored in the corner. And we were kind of looking around going, geez, not a good start. But anyway, then they scored again. So they go like 14-3 up. Yeah, then they scored two tries, went like 14-3 up. And then, like, it just got to the stage where, like, it was panic station. So, like, one guy went off injured. I think it was Marco Keeve. Then next thing we know, two lads are being subbed off after, like, 20 minutes. It's complete blow up. And before we know it, like, for the lads who were on the pitch, we were looking around being like, shit, we're completely bottling this. And then before we know it, they score another try. And we're, like, 21-3 down. And it's at the stage now where we're looking around going, okay, we actually could get absolutely embarrassed here so what then quickly began to happen was we realized we were completely out of our depth from a preparation point of view so they knew all our lineups so like my thrown in from a hook, a hook in perspective it would be about as straight as elton john so yeah, i remember there was a line out and we made the call and then whoever their player was in the pack who's in charge of the lineouts just goes yeah lads they're jumping into the front then they're going to the back and like that's exactly what we what we were going to do so i kind of just looked at michael craig who was calling our lineouts then i was like uh what's the plan b here in case you haven't figured it out yet what i do better than anybody is adapt last night was plan a tonight Plan B. There's always a plan B. Is there a plan B? 
And yeah, just ended up Phil Taylor and the ball in and they obviously stole it. But that kind of summed up the day. There was more injuries. It got to the stage in the second half where it was like 31-9 to them, where like, number one, we all knew we'd blown it, we'd lost. It was one of the darkest, one of the darkest 20 minutes ever because you were just playing rugby and being like, right, we've lost it. The whole season's a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. That's all that's going through your head. And you lose to Ternier, the people you get into fights in at Wes. And it got to the stage where like the heads were so gone that like I remember those stages where lads were taking quick taps on our five meter line. At one stage, Connor Duffy got the ball off nine and tried to grubber kick it through I think Harrison Brewer's legs, and it just went straight into Harrison Brewer's hands, and he just ran like 10, 20 meters. So that's kind of where we were at. And yeah, I remember losing that game and realizing how how devastating skills rugby can actually be. Because the thing is, until that moment happens where you lose a cup game or, in this case, a final, you think everything's great because like it's just such a great journey from July all the way to March and there's the big, massive bubble effect where everyone's around you, there's crowds at it, there's a bit of hype in the paper, there's chats, there's all those wezzes and like, oh, there's your man, he plays for Kilkenny, I think he got flown in from South Africa. Like For that all to come crashing down in the space of 70 minutes in Donnybrook in front of thousands of people against your biggest rivals is something that is not ideal. And yeah, I remember after the final, we went to, I think it was like the Burlington Hotel, had a nice function, but I remember after that, I just went up to my oldest brother as a listen, I'm not, I think a few lads went out and drank and rightfully so in hindsight, but I was so depressed that I was like, I'm going home. This is crap. And like for genuine, like two, three months after that, every single day, I just thought about that final and losing it and just how we'd blown him. And I, funny enough, two days later in school, I know it was the next day, would you believe we had uh, Gavin Nags for business and obviously like Everyone's just a bit upset, but like we're chatty and we're just trying to get through the next few weeks of school. And Nagsy comes in and we're all chatting. And then he goes, lads, shut up. And Connor Duffy, who, like myself and anyone else involved, was really in a dark place. He was just chatting at the front. And then he goes, Duffy, shut your... F-. <laughs> he didn't say the F word, but he goes, shut up or I'll kick your ass like Terrier did yesterday. Went, <laughs> and Duffy turned around to like the rest of the rugby lads who were all kind of gathered in our depressed little corner and was like, what an absolute prick. And he said it at such a level that like Nagsy definitely heard him, but I think Nagsy knew he'd completely blown up and shouldn't have said that. But it was said nonetheless. And yeah, that was that. Was that. And that's the one thing that does stand out definitely when I look back in third year. Moving swiftly on to fourth year, which is just basically the twilight zone. Things that stand out fourth year is remember we went 17 weeks in a row in which we were free, free gaff every single Saturday. So every Saturday for 17 weeks, we had a free gaff. So like by the Wednesday or Thursday, it'd be like, lads, uh, my parents, they're going off uh, on a holiday to Portugal for a week so I can, uh, you know, have a few drinks of mine and should we uh, invite the Mount Anvil girls? And then, like, some, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, I'll go on Facebook, ask uh, Laura and, you know, Aideen, like, they'll definitely come, like, they'll be so gay, like. So I remember that, some brilliant times there. Like, that is the pinnacle from a, a sesh point of view. Like, yes, holidays and stuff are great, but just the whole, like, independence and also, like, I'm trying to put a word on it, the unknown about these gaffes. Like, who's going to turn up? What will the night entail? Who's going to pull who? Who's going to get so drunk that they get sick? Like, that was that happened every week. But, like, there was loads of good nights like that, which was obviously great crack. Um, I remember the first time I properly blew up was at, Jen O'Neill's birthday and that was in fourth year and it was at her house and she had all free drink and it was like there was a pyramid of Dutch gold so you walked in rather than seeing like a pyramid of Ferrero Rocher or wine glasses or cocktails it was a pyramid of Dutch gold which was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life but being a bit ignorant and not level-headed I drank a lot that night like a lot and it got to the stage where I Remember, I was in the jacks and I looked at the mirror and I was like, I am apps. I'm, I'm way off here, really way off. 
And like when you're at that age, like when you're older, you can anticipate when you're going to be too drunk or you at least know you're borderline. You just slow down what most people do. And I just looked and I was like, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble here. And next thing I know, 15, 20 minutes later, I passed two or three of the Man Anvil birds just at the top of Aylesbury Road. So I'd left the house at this stage. They're like, Richie, where are you going? Like, Jen's is around the corner. I was like, I need to go home. And they're like, what? And I was like, Ugh. and I just staggered home from the top of Ellsbury Road back to my house, like 20 minutes away. I started banging on my door. My mom answers the door. and's like, Richard, what are you doing? You're drunk. And I was like, Bleh. at this stage, just ran into the toilet. just getting sick everywhere and that wasn't it it was one of those nights where it was just persistent vomiting so like the head was spinning i was looking at the ceiling in my room kept spinning around i'm just getting sick all the time and ever since then i haven't actually really touched vodka from a pre-drink point of view or even a drinking point of view like if i'm a club i would but actually never since that day have pre-drank purely on vodka because of that sole night but then we got to the summer, and when you're in fourth year, the big thing is the summer. It's like, oh, will we get ads British? Will we go to Wexford? Will we go to Portugal? We do this, do that. So, like now, lads have, and birds have got longitude and stuff, but back then it was really Wexford, British, and Portugal were the, the triangle effect of what you could do. <clears throat> so, we went to Portugal that year, and I brought two of my close mates, and I remember three or four days into the trip. Like, obviously, we were, I was having huge issues with the two lads staying with me. Like, there was a lot of stuff going on that shouldn't have been going on. And, like, they were staying with my family, put it that way. So there was a lot of domestics, but that's part and parcel of growing up. But I remember we were staying in Four Seasons Fairways in Portugal. So we'd, we'd wake up the next morning after a heavy night out. And the great thing is at that age is you don't really get hungover. It's something that I need to get some sort of genius on or doctor or scientist on this podcast and explain to me that up until the age of like 18, 19, you don't get hangovers no matter how drunk you get. So I'd wake up by the pool. I used to plow through the chocolate milkshakes there. You had Antonio just be like, hey man, what's the story? And you'd have the biggest dick I have seen on a human in my life it would just be flopping around and he'd be there in his sandals ripped even though he's like 78 and he'd just be like hey my brothers so we were just chatting catching up on how the previous few nights had gone and mr x was sitting at the table and i was like here mr x where did you go last night and he was like ah oh, yeah yeah no just uh yes you know i was like what i was like sorry what and he was like yeah no i just uh got with some bird and uh, went home i was like what? I was. Sorry, there's... there's cats fighting in my garden. Hang on. <laughs> so, yeah. And then moving into fifth year, there was like a lot of weird stuff went on in that. As in, all I think about is my trials and tribulations in school that year. Like, I remember. I was transferring from honors maths to pass maths and the transfer kind of took a day or two as if it was like a Premier League transfer. But what, how it works is you bring in a form to the current teacher and be like, oh, I want to go down to this class and get taught by that person. So once the teacher of your current class gives it to the other uh, prospective teacher, he signs off or she and you go to that class. So I got permission from my honors maths teacher to leave. And then I went to my pass maths teacher and he was like, oh, I don't know if you can come in, fella. I don't know if you can come in. I don't think you'd be right fit for the class. And I was like, since when is this up for negotiation? I don't want to do honors, so I need to do pass. So I was kind of left in limbo for a day or two. And then a day or two led to like four or five days. And then before I knew it, there was a whole week in which I'd basically been in the upper study waiting for it to be cleared. And it never did. So a week turned to two weeks and like no one was checking in on me. And then suddenly I realized I was like, if I don't say anything, the current teacher in honors probably thinks I've gone to pass. And the past teacher then probably thinks I've just stayed with the honors group. So I was just in the upper study, our lower study, every day when we'd maths, which was every day. 
And I was just sitting there being like, this is great. Don't have to do maths. So the mocks came around. Christmas exams came around. What did I do for them? Nothing. Nothing. And then eventually the mocks came around and they couldn't find my maths exam for the honors paper. So they were like, um, Richie, where's your maths paper? And I was like, oh, I handed it up. Why is it not there? And they're like, oh, no, it should be. <clears throat> but we just need to find it. So I kind of put the flip on them. But the thing was, I actually didn't do the exam. I just sat there pretending to do an exam. Didn't hand it up at the end. So there was no exam to begin with. So I'd say all the teachers were like, sorry, where is this exam? Blah, blah, blah. So then eventually they put two and two together. And the vice principal called me into his office. And he was like, Mr. Allen, um, I was checking, you know, the logs there of class um, attendance and the cameras even. And I've noticed that you've been in the upper study for the last 14 weeks. And I was like, yeah, no. And he was like, no, Mr. Allen, like that is you on the camera. And that is you not being in maths for the last three to four months. Am I correct? And I went, no. No, I've been in maths. So then he goes, well, I'll, I'll get your teacher down, will I? I was like, yeah, yeah, call him. So we got the teacher down about five minutes later. And the maths teacher I had was like, no, you haven't been in my class. You said you were going to do pass. What have you been doing for the last four months, you moron? So <clears throat> the jig was up. I went home hoping, like the most idiotic hope ever. I was hoping that the vice principal wouldn't contact my parents. So I uh, walk home from school. Uh, interesting thing with my parents is when they're happy and fine with me, they call me Richie or another alternative nickname. If they're mad at me, they call me Richard. And that's the same for my dad and my mother. So I hear my mother from upstairs going, Richard, we'll be down in two minutes. And once that happened, I was like, bollocks. So they come down and my dad sits down and intensely staring at me and goes, so uh, how's Matt's going? And I just had to keep up the bluff or try. I was like, yeah, no, it's going well, yeah. yeah. And he goes, what you get in the mocks? And I was like, um, I don't know, the results haven't come out yet. And then he goes, that's because you don't even bloody do any bloody maths anymore, you clown. Because you, your vice principal's been on to me for the last half hour. You haven't even gone to school for the last four months. You haven't been at maths for four months. What the bloody hell? They're screaming at me, and rightly so. So yeah, I the jig was up. We go into school the next day, get put on detention three weeks in a row. Saturday detention, three weeks in a row, unprecedented stuff. So I was like, right, like I got a little vacation from maths and now I need to just cram and did so and got back in. Then a similar thing happened in Spanish in fifth year as well. So I was like, right, just keep the head down. I was in Spanish and my Spanish teacher goes, ballpark, paraphrasing here. She goes, well, in my professional opinion, I think that's the best way to study. And I started bursting out laughing. And I didn't obviously want to undermine her. Like, that wasn't the the intention of my laugh at all. But I just kind of found it funny as if, like, oh, she's a professional teacher, as if it's like a professional footballer in the Premier League. So the teacher goes, what's so funny, Richie? I went, ah, it's just the way you said, in my professional opinion, you'd swear, like, you know, you were playing Premier League football or something like that. She goes, excuse me? And I immediately knew at that moment I'd undermined her and upset her, which wasn't my intention at all. But long story short, I was kicked out of that class. But back in the vice principal's office, who was like, right, I've had enough of you. You're banned from Spanish. And um, yeah, I didn't go to Spanish then for four months up until three weeks before the summer exams because of that. So yeah, there's a lot of turmoil going on there. Like a lot uh, in school, outside of school. I remember in fifth year, I quit rugby as well. Like during the cup, I was like, screw this. My head's completely gone. So yeah, that fifth year was a disaster. If the, People always ask me, oh, would you like to go back to third year and do it all again? No, based on the fact that fifth year was quite literally the worst year of all time. But it was from sixth year onwards, maybe. So yeah, 2013, I'm thinking here of what I think of when that happens. So it's all school again based. One of the things that stands out is the pre-debs. 
So that's a big night for every sixth year. It's kind of the warm-up to the pre-debs, bring a few dates. Some lads are lucky, some lads are not guilty. But we went down to like Carlo or somewhere bizarre. Like, no disrespect to people from Carlo or wherever we actually went, but it was not Dublin and well outside the pale. So we go and next thing we know, we're on a bus. People are like, people honestly, before we'd even got on the bus, we were walking down Nutley Lane, so where Orte is, and people were throwing like bottles at taxis and stuff. Someone smashed a taxi's window in with a bottle. Like it was proper, like crumbling behavior. And no disrespect to crumbling, faithful. So it was mad to begin with. And then the bus journey took like an hour and a half, but everyone's all lagered up. So everyone needs to go to the toilet the whole time. So the back of the bus upstairs essentially became the urinals. So what people don't understand is like when you piss on a bus, uh, the pee doesn't go anywhere. Like there's no natural kind of funnel in which it gets basically brought from the top of the bus to out of the bus. So there was piss honestly leaking everywhere. It was even like slithering down the stairs at certain stages towards the end of the bus journey. And we get to the destination and we all rock up there and it's a big night. Everyone's pissed. And a lot of us start getting rejected at the door. And the one or two reps who tried to organize the night were like, hang on here, we're from this school. You got to let us in. We planned this months in advance. And the bouncers were having none of it. They're like, no, too drunk, not letting you in. So like a few of us got in. I actually remember I got in and <laughs> we're in there and it's just, it's a terrible club but we try to make the most of it. And then word starts gathering around that there's a bit of, bit of pro- like there's been a problem outside. And we're like, why, what's wrong? And I was like, do you not hear about Mr. B? And we're like, what happened to Mr. B? And he was like, uh, basically he went up to one of the bouncers and spat in the bouncer's face and got his head kicked in and now he's unconscious in the bush. So everyone's like, ah, that can't be true. Then we go outside of the club and it's complete carnage. It's fully like the aftermath of the finale of Fast Five or like Taken Four when Liam Nielsen finds the people who took his daughter for like the 16th time. But yeah, there was honestly about 20 people just throwing digs, kicking people on the floor, bouncing stuff, railings getting thrown at people. Like there was definitely friendly fire. Like people were throwing chairs at the stuff. There was smashed glass. There was bottles being smashed. And then all we know is just, it's fully the Royal Rumble. This match to you right now. Ah! And by God, there he is. The toughest son of a bitch in the WWE is in the way out. And by God, he came the win of another man's ass. Austin is back. Like, it has just descended in to the Royal Rumble. So, like, all I was thinking was just J.O.R. being like, Don't do it! I'm thinking of your family! Think of your fans! Think of your fans! Oh, it's so cool! Striking everything! That my God moves! And there's blood, there's tears from the dates. They're all like, why are we getting in fights with these strangers? Absolute bloodbath ensued. We all get kicked out of the club. The club gets shut early at, like, half eleven. We're then stranded outside this club in which we'd fought all the locals in. And then, like, all we start to realize is just, oh, the locals have now got on to more locals, and more locals are now with the locals. So, round two, ding, 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 doom, doom, and all yours, ah, people getting knocked unconscious. It was a bloodbath. It was an absolute bloodbath. So, we eventually, the bus came early, like two hours early. We all had to get onto the bus. Those one or two locals are kicking the bus and throwing shit at the bus as we left. And it was kind of like the end of the hangover when they're coming back to see their wives or families. Like shirts are ripped. There's blood on people's faces, black eyes. People didn't have shoes. Some shoes were gone. Ties ripped. Like people were had bandages on them. It was a complete war zone. Like it was honestly as if we just survived some sort of zombie apocalypse. And we got on the same bus. 
So we were sitting back in a bus that stank of piss was just covered by the end of it in sweat and blood. And it went down as one of the most memorable slash terrible nights in the history of my year. But, like, thinking back on other things in sixth year, like, you have the SET final. Um, yeah, what can I say? I've said enough on it. But, yeah, I remember that again, similar enough to the JCT. So I still, to this day, can't remember an SET in which you had five or six teams that could legitimately win it. So even like this year, you've got two, maybe three teams that can win it, and that's more or less it from every year. We end up getting there, and it gets up to the cup, and who do we play? Play Kassanok again in the first round. That's when I had my infamous chip. Then we went Klongos. Then we went Newbridge. Was it Newbridge? Yeah, Newbridge. We were really good. And then rocking the final. And like the thing is, like Newbridge almost beat us. We beat them by three points. Like they're a team that could have won the cup. You'd rock, you could have won the cup. You'd Ross Gray, who were beaten Rock by like six hundred points with ten minutes to go, and still somehow ma- managed to blow us. You had Terranure, who were the favourites, who lost to Ross Gray, which was disappointing slash hilarious. And then you had the likes of like Klongos and stuff, who were really good as well. So, just speaking about. Like that whole campaign, it was absolutely class to be involved in and stuff like that. And it probably doesn't have the certain uh, media frenzy attached to it nowadays. But like I remember going into it, there was really like we normally would be quite an arrogant year, but we weren't actually that arrogant going into that because we were like, Jesus Christ, there's actually four or five teams that can legit win this. Um, and although we had an absolutely incredible team, so did so many other teams. When I got to the final, I remember it was against Rock, and we'd beaten Rock at JCT for like the first time, I think, in the school's history. Maybe the second, I don't know. Someone would pinpoint that. But the hype around it was quite big, and, you know, Rock Michaels. I don't think there's been a final in the SCT since where it's been Rock Michaels. But I remember Dordias was pretty much, I'd say, 80% full. Like, if you look at a final now, it's normally maybe 55 60% full. Like, there was fully 80 85% of the... Stadium was absolutely jammers, and I remember leading up to it, um, all the articles, and you're getting the hype going. The match itself, um, I've actually watched it back loads of times. It's actually a class game. Weird game, but class game. And I remember thinking, we started really well, and then it started raining during halftime, and I still think to this day, if it didn't rain, we definitely would have won that game by seven ten points but i just think once it started raining it just we had to kick so much more couldn't do what we what we basically done all year but then i'll never forget so just drama 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 was the kick we kept kicking it and we got good returns from it but one of the kicks it like bounced it's like the end of happy gilmore like ding, 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 when everyone's looking bounced like two or three times and straight into Sean Calkin's hands. He runs like 40 meters. They run over. I think it was Nick Timoney gets hit hard by like Maloney, like a meter from the touchline. He gets smashed into touch, but somehow kept the ball in. Then it goes to the other wing, and Gary Ingles throws a forward pass to who's a Jack Power, and then he scored with like five minutes to go. And the thing about that pass is I was in line with it, and I'm not saying it was forward, but I'm not saying it went back. And I'm not saying it's flat. So all I'm saying is every time I see Gary. Number 13, Gary Ringer Ringer Rosie. I go, was that forward? And then he quickly gets into his car and drives off really quickly. So I don't know what that means. And whenever I ask him, he always just changes the subject. So I'm not saying he's guilty, but I'm saying he he's not innocent, okay? So ask him. That's all I'll say. But yeah, I remember when that try went in, there was like four or five minutes ago, and the roar from the rock crowd was like outrageously loud. And I remember looking around, it was like four minutes left on the clock. And the mad thing was, that was probably the most calm huddle I've ever been in my life under those posts, where we just had one or two lads speak, and we're like, listen, we need to do this, that, and the other. Like, obviously, you didn't win the game, but you'd expect at that stage where you've got three, four minutes, and the two two people who spoke have gone on since to play for Ireland, which is no surprise. But 
Yeah, I remember like that last four minutes was like definitely one of the worst things I've ever experienced because everything that needed to go for us in those three or four minutes didn't. I remember a ball got kicked to like Keane and like it clearly went back, but the ref gave a knock on and we were like, oh, brilliant. That's another 60, 70 seconds wasted on the scrum and whatnot. And the worst part was, was just the pick and go. So there was like 40 seconds left and they kept picking and going. And I, like when that happens, you're like, we've literally, we've lost this, but you have to tackle and stuff like that. And then the ball gets kicked into touch, into the rock crowd, pandemonium. And yeah, absolute carnage. They go mad. We're just all left there being like, right, our hopes and dreams are crushed. We have to wait around, watch them lift the trophy. They don't have to go back in. Uh, then we get onto the bus and the bus is parked beside Rock's bus. And then lo and behold, Rock come in, get on their bus, start going mad, chanting. And they're like two meters away. So we're looking out our windows at Black Rock with the Senior Cup going mad with Powerade bottles being like, this is dark. Please get me the fuck out of here. But yeah, it's a great thing. And I know the cup's coming up now in a few weeks, but it's genuinely a, it's a great thing. But then looking back on it, and I would say this to everyone, it's just people need to enjoy it more. Coaches, players, everyone involved, because it's not um, do or die. There's quite literally a bunch of teenagers running after a piece of leather and um, wearing their school jerseys and stuff like that but sometimes i do think it's the emphasis is too much on winning it rather than just realizing how cool and special it is to play in front of a couple of thousand people and the chance and stuff like that it's class but yeah without getting too emotional on that 2014 would have been interrailing um i've already told all those stories so just listen back to my other solo ones if you want that but the two stories that stand out hugely to me would be when i was back in the band so i was in a band called state lights who are still going and if you're into the likes of you two and david bowie and stuff check them out great band but we were shooting a video <clears throat> and we went out somewhere in cabra to a rooftop at like half one at night and we had the cameraman we had the drum kiss guitars everything so i was kind of like hang on it's half one on a thursday night and we're gonna shoot a video on a roof and i was like i don't know if this is gonna work so the thing is like if if a drummer doesn't actually hit the drums it looks very unrealistic so a drummer started hitting the drums and stuff like that on a roof in the middle of cabra and it makes a loud noise like you could hear it from at least 200 yards away and those houses all around us so he starts banging away at the drums and i'm kind of second guess myself being like hang on you can't can't do this this is in the middle of a housing um estate and like it's half one people are gonna go mad but everyone kind of was oblivious to that and then before we know it 10 minutes later this crazy looking bald guy comes out in his boxers and went hey shut the fuck up right this is in glastonbury and we were like, uh, sorry, mate. We're just um, shooting a video here. I said, don't bloody care if you're shooting a video. Don't care if you're you too, Apollo. Shut off up. And then we're like, um, we'll be done in half an hour. He goes, if you're allowed, shut up. I'm going to get me shotgun. I'm going to blow the bloody brains off us. And once he said that, we were like, point taken. Get the fuck out of here. Leg it. Run. Grabbed all the equipment, came to our senses, and legged it out of the place. Like, legged it. Like, drum kits, bass guitars, just running, and sped out of cabra like there was no tomorrow. And looking at other ones, like interrailing, like, there's so many stories interrailing. Um, one of them was when Mr. W came back when he'd had a brownie. And he came back to the hostel and we went up to the talk shop and we were absolutely devouring, devouring things. And before we knew it, Mr. W, who'd had a brownie of uh, interest in nature with certain ingredients, he starts going pale. Uh, Mr. W starts eating profusely, like had about six Snickers and about two twirls and about three boxes of crisps. Starts going, oh, oh, oh. 
And I was kind of like, Mr. Dubley, you're right. And he's like, Brownie's going to hit. It's like, what? Brownie's going to hit. And we start going, what? Then before we know, he collapses to the floor, starts just crawling to the bathroom, in which at this stage, his pants start kind of getting caught on the floor. And it just slowly begins to unveil his arse. And then he makes it to the jacks and ended up hugging the toilet roll dispensary for approximately 80 minutes in what was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And like we went in to try to give him some moral support and he's just like, piss off, I can't, I can't move. It was a complete comprehensive mental breakdown essentially. But like that's the type of stuff that it happens and you don't forget. I don't forget. Like six years on, I still don't forget him. Um, and I'd say, <clears throat> like, looking out, looking back on other things, like, there's not a huge another. I remember Roskilde, that festival where I was in, there was two stories there in which, number one, I went to a party party and was extremely hungover. It was also 34 degrees, and the queues were outrageous for them because it wasn't enough, and Roskilde is one of the biggest festivals in Europe. And I was in the Jacks um, taking a poo-poo, realized there was no toilet paper, and which then I suddenly realized the extent of the smell of crap in the place was shocking. So I ended up getting sick. And when I mean sick, I mean projectile vomited all over the floor. And things with porty potties, there's actual holes in it. So it starts leaking out and becomes visible to the people outside. I wasn't aware of this. I had to utilize everything within the porty potty anyway. So I clean myself off as much as I can open the door to find myself being laughed at by about 50, 60 European natives because there was sick dripping out. You could hear me from outside. Supposedly people had just gotten everyone to be quiet and all they could hear was just... And then I'd come out drenched in sweat with sick all over me. That was highly embarrassing. And then on the first night, I remember we come back to our tent camp or whatever you want to call it, only to be invaded by six lads in which five of them had actually been to jail. They were all from Denmark. And they were like, yeah, you Irish man, you drink, you drink. And we were like, sorry, what? And he's like, come on, you drink, you drink. It's, well, it wasn't Arnold Schwartz. Like, you drink, who are you? Get out of here, who are you? But they made us drink like straight vodka with them. And once we established that they were actual criminals, we swiftly left the camp and legged it, absolutely legged it for our lives. So once they left, they were like, oh, we'll be back in uh, half an hour. We'll be back in half an hour. So we were like, right. So once they left, we were like, right, we need to get out of here. So once uh, they pretty much got us out, we were like, right, we are gone, like absolutely gone. Yeah, we just left. We were just like, we are gone. And we took our tents, we took everything with us, and we escaped. But it was terrifying. Like, they genuinely were criminals, and they were playing pound and techno, and it scared the living shit out of me. Genuinely, it scared the absolute shit out of me. But yeah, we we managed to escape that, which was obviously great. And, like, looking back on that now, like, that's more or less up to 2014. I'll do the rest in the next podcast just to not make it overly long. But yeah, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19. I'm trying to think 2015. Some funny stories there with college. Um, almost got kicked out for plagiarism. Went to Rockfurcher, Whistler, Canada, Portugal. 2016 was when we went to the West Coast. Second, second year of college. 2017 went back to the West Coast. Had some hilarious golf rounds, issues on golf courses. Had my thesis that year last year of college some hilarious coaching stories which i'll add in as well uh, 2018 one or two stand out and then 2019 i'll have to probably bring up portugal again maybe my seven day bender which included me um waking up on a sofa finding myself up in hospital an hour later only to find myself in leash six hours later so that'll be an interesting one but yeah, any other suggestions in the meantime, let me know. And I suppose, yeah, I will. I suppose what I'll do with this is I'll get rid of some of them. So I was asked 
on Instagram, like what would my best films be? What would my Premier League team of the decade be? Best rugby team, best TV shows, best holiday destinations, this, that, and the other, best songs of the decade. So I'll pile together a lot of them. I'll give you my best films and the Premier League team of the decade, and I'll do the other four or five in the next one. The Premier League team of the decade, what am I going to play? I'm going to play 4-3-3. So in Nets, you've got Petr Cech. Right back, you have Kyle Walker. Centre backs, you have John Terry and Van Dyke. Left back, you've got Patrice Evra. In midfield, there's three of them. So you've got Lampard, Jared, and David Silva. And then up top, I'm going with Aguero, Salah, and Hazard. And captain will be Stephen Jared. And then with relation to the films of the decade, this is going to change a lot. But yeah. I'll do I'll do 15. I have a list of like 20 here, but I'll do 15. So I'll start with number 15 down to one. Number 15, I'll go Inception. 14, Grand Budapest Hotel. 13, Logan Lucky. Number 12, Moonrise Kingdom. 11, Mad Max. 10, The Disaster Artist. 9, The Social Network. 10, The Master. 7, Booksmart. 6, Her. Five, Dunkirk. Four, Inherent Vice. Number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number two, Knives Out. And number one, Short Term 12. And yeah, I know you haven't heard of that film. No one has. But you should, because it's brilliant. And it's on more or less every good human being's list of the last decade. So yeah, I suppose I will pick this up in a few days' time. And I'll be starting from 2015. I have to say, like, 2015, definitely, the stories are funnier from there on in. Yeah, no, it'd be interesting. And then, as I said, apart from this, I'll do the other one. This will be open. Part two will be up in a few days. Then I am chatting to the Golden Gate Angel, I think his name is. Basically, is was a guy who spent, like, 25 years of his life who basically walked the Golden Gate Bridge to convince people not to jump, basically. And he's coming on now in two weeks. So it is a bit of a dark podcast to be doing, but it's an important one. And like he genuinely saved hundreds of people's lives. So I want to know about that. And I want to talk about that. Then apart from that, get another American on who started a very successful fitness company. I won't say much more, but it would be definitely interesting. And then let's just say there's going to be a few familiar faces on the podcast, hopefully. And yeah, you will enjoy it you will enjoy what you have to hear once you know who they are anyway thank you for listening to me gargle and apart from that part two will be coming up and yeah let me know what you think if you don't like us tough shit i'm quite low on energy this is the best i can give today but rest assured part two will probably be better will it be better yeah that nah, will be better i guarantee you actually part two will be better but in the meantime piss off